welcome to The Improv Teachers. I am your host, Lauren Morris, and I am really excited that this month I get to bring back Josh Nichols. Josh has been a performer and instructor for quite a long time. You can find him traveling the country, teaching in Orange County at Specs Improv, and he is just an overall great guy. He happened to be coming to Florida for some other family reasons, and we were lucky enough at AdLib to get him to coach a workshop and perform in one of our shows here at the theater. I decided to take that opportunity and sit back down with Josh. This time, we talked a little less teaching and more coaching and what it means to be on a team and also wherever else our minds took us. But hopefully you enjoy it. I enjoyed it. It's always a delight to have Josh around. And thank you so much for listening to The Improv Teachers. No one, um, I don't know if it's because of the yes and culture or the professional culture or if someone is not very good at teaching. Yeah. I I think when other improvisers or festivals reach out and like, hey, you had this workshop with this person, would you recommend them? Yeah. I don't know that we are having that honest conversation with I, one another I don't know I try and do a little bit of that and I promise to be honest because yeah because sometimes you bring in a team for a festival and they're like a headlining team and one of the things you have to do for a headlining team is say like we have I have a workshop to offer it's like a way of enticing and offsetting some of the cost it's just one of the things a festival has to make things balance out because you're bringing in incredibly talented people uh, so you offer workshops to folks that maybe you haven't experienced a workshop from or heard a ton about. And it is hard to get feedback and honest feedback because one of the things that you have to do as a festival is sell to your community that these workshops will be good for them. It's an important thing, not only because you want to make sure that you sell it out for the person coming in, but that you want to make sure that they are knowing what they're getting and that you're making an impact in your community. Uh, there's, it's a symbiotic like loop, right? And if you sell somebody one time and they come in and do like a bad workshop, you undermine your credibility for every single person you bring in after that. Right. So, uh, I, I have, there's friends, you know, you can like message and say, Hey, let me know. Like, what's the deal with this? The dark web. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you, there has to be some kind of feedback like that. There really should be, um, because of how much risk we're taking sometimes. What about the side of, um, we know we're bringing someone in who we, they're not, they don't necessarily do as they teach, but we also know that their name will bring a lot of people. Right. And, and places all over, places do that all over the place. Festivals. I understand festivals do that a Understanding that because that does draw people in. Yeah. Um, I, but I'll tell you, I refuse to do it. Yeah. You'll look through my records, and you, I hope you'll find no one that fits under that. Right. That because uh, one, usually that name means you're paying some. Oh my gosh, so much right? premium uh, for it, and then if, the, if you're going to pay that premium and you're not going to get that experience, you're not going to expose your students to something awesome. They're not going to get better at improv. You're not going to be connecting your workshop, your community to someone that's going to um, really make it better and like someone you can work with over and over down the line. Uh, I just go, I'd rather have somebody that's, you know, 80 cents on the dollar of name recognition, right. but way more when it comes to actual impact 
on your um, on your community. So, and that's one of the things I have to maintain my integrity. I have to uh, and my reputation for bringing in good stuff. And so you won't find me bringing those folks in. Right. Right. Uh, it's not worth it. I get. I get some people that want to get like put on like a national scene and so they'll bring in somebody, but yeah, I, um, I think there's other ways to grow yourself as a national scene. I think one of the things is to lay out those expectations of like what year one through five are going to look like, uh-huh. you know, uh, from a size and a budget. So one thing that we specifically did not do this year as being that we're launching first year is we did not have a local night Yeah, and I could have easily filled a local night sure. in terms of performers, could I fill three nights of audiences? I don't know. Yeah. And do I want to take that chance? Not first year, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I'd rather have – while it sucks to say no to teams, I'd rather say no to more teams. Yeah. And really pump this up of like for the people who are coming, oh, my God, this was an experience. This was great. Da, 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 da. You know your community. Right. So you have to make decisions based on your – it's all risk. It's, and it's risk management, not risk avoidance. You have to find the risks you want to take um, and the ones that you think – because there's a, there's a lot of things going on. One, you want to make sure there's a good product on stage. Two, you want to make sure there's a good audience in the seats because they both feed each other. Yes. So if you have good talent on stage but no one in the audience, that talent probably won't come back just because they – one of the things that they want is like a full house and like that experience. Uh, if you have a full house and subpar shows – the audience will not come back. So you really need to build with both. You need to have a good house and you make sure you have a good talent on stage. And that's an important, like sometimes you take risks. Sometimes you know these things are going to be great. Um, and you have to find the balance between supporting the local scene, exposing your local scene, but also bringing in the acts that you know you can count on to make the, the festival a bigger deal and a more consistent offering to your audience. It is a tricky thing. We've grown. We started with three nights. We were never really like a strict local night. We had more local nights, more local teams on our Thursday, and then we would filter them into our Friday and Saturday. How do you do – just because where you guys are, yeah. how do you define lo- – like just to Orange County itself? Yeah, yeah. Like to people that perform in our community. Okay. All right. Like so like – yeah, in Orange County. Um, I know because we're so close to L.A. It's awesome. We always have like crazy great lineups. It's – and I'm very blessed. It doesn't seem like it's very hard to get this, you know. <laughs> right. uh, so I'm really, really lucky. You can always look at our lineups and go like, wow, how'd they get all in? But it's because we're close. Right. Um, and I think L.A. is a uh, – it's like a huge improv mecca that – like Chicago gets a lot of the, the flash – but so many people moved away from Chicago to L.A. I have had this conversation so many times recently, and I don't know if it's because I was just back out with at Wasatch, and I was like, oh, that's right. I, having been to New York, having been to Chicago, and having been out to L.A., if I had to choose somewhere where you were like, hey, you can go live in any of these cities without worrying about rent just to study improv, Chicago's no longer on that list. Yeah. It's L.A. Right. And it's just the West Coast improv to me. There, I don't know. It's I don't know what it is, but there's so much good stuff out there. I just there really is. I mean, we're supporting a ton of theaters, and like there's talent everywhere, and there's always more. I think the industry. Is a I was going to say probably the industry, right? Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people from Chicago end up in LA. It's not the improv wasn't the draw. The improv is the oh, I can still do improv in LA, right? While trying to get in commercials, while trying to get on a sitcom. You know, um, I think that that has brought a lot of talent from Chicago 
um, over the years consistently. Um, and so like, I do, uh, um, I do think that, like, I think that there's a lot of people have a myth around Chicago. If they want to experience it, they probably have a positive uh, experience. But, and I hear a lot of people that have done that, that have gone to the Mecca right? and then they go, Oh yeah, it's not what I thought it was, you know? Um, but also there's a thing about Chicago. Right. Oh, and Chicago's a a great city and, um, it has Second City Chicago, right. which to me is like ultimately the best comedy stage. Like, I don't care about performing on any planks of wood. Right. It's never a thing for me. It's always about who I'm performing with. But I will say, Second City Chicago does, if anything, holds that esteem in my book. Right. It's that because when you look at that alumni, um, yeah, uh, it's crazy. So I think that's the only draw for me ultimately. Um, even though I love IO, I'm not like entranced by going to perform in Chicago IO. Right. Yeah, that's that shininess wore off a long time ago for me as well. And um like you, it's I don't actually care about the theater anymore. It's who am I standing next to? Yeah. I geek out about like, oh my god, I get to stand next to so and so and I'm in a shithole or something, you know? Yeah. Like it's yeah. right, yeah. Well, Frankly, most improv theaters are not, like, places of, like, you know, like, this feels like a church. Right. right. You know, yeah. like, I, uh, I owe, like, sometimes you have pounding music next door. Yes. I owe West, anyway. Um, uh, and, like, the people, the people in that building are what make it special, not the building. Right. Um, so uh, that's the funny thing, as I'm not, like, people are like, oh, we perform in this main stage here. And I'm like, that doesn't. Right. Who do you perform with? What do you do? You know, like. Yeah, um, so much so, um, which is a great segue, I think, into um, we're going to – last time we had you on, we talked teaching and we talked about the focus and you were uh, still um, – I don't even know how to explain your role now with specs. Like how did you like, – <laughs> Well, I'm just no longer uh, – it's a funny thing so we're going to talk right? about it. Uh, like the first thing I need to say is because everyone keeps going, what went wrong? What happened? <laughs> I think the first thing I need to say is there is no boogeyman. Nothing went wrong. Uh, I'd done it. I'd been at the helm for 10 years. I'd done it for a very long time. Uh, I decided it was best for Specs to have different leadership, and it was best for me to not be in leadership anymore. So I still teach there. Uh, so there's that form of leadership. Uh, and I definitely – I'm on the harassment board because I think that's really important, and I want to make sure that it's just done right. It's so easy for it to not be done right. And so and I'm not the only one on there. Um, but that's the two roles that I was like. That would be weird if I'm just one yeah. white guy on a yeah, harassment board. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's just what I, it, uh, when they talk about like using your privilege or whatever, that's essentially it. I'm using my place and spectacles to make sure that we have an environment to have the best possible uh, home for talent of all of all backgrounds. Um, and that's essentially why I'm still on it, and I want to make sure that it's uh, honored and respected, and that it's still carried like whatever power my name has in spectacles that it has that right so uh but that's it so my role now is i teach at spectacles i perform there i'm definitely still like a person there um and i'm on the harassment panel but i'm no longer i do not make day-to-day decisions um uh, i don't yeah that's essentially i get to step back and do more things that i want to do right which is great i mean that's 
That's all. I think all of us. That's what we all yeah. want. So you know, it depends on how and where you can do it. So okay. So last so last time you were still ingrained there, or that was where you were, and now this is where you are. We also talked about like the focuses, the foci. I was foci, I think, right? Foci, sure. Uh, I think that's a lot. I never, I never of, looked into it that closely <laughs> of to be Latin. Plural. Correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that we do. So we. I, I feel like this conversation will probably weave and 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 also we are we're recording live in my living room so or kitchen i don't know whatever room so you may hear dogs walking yeah. by <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. that kind of stuff so i wanted but i do want to talk a little bit about because we don't do that often on the podcast of like teams and coaching because i know that uh that's something uh, while you have been in town we have touched upon both with you coaching my own team but also i know when we were talking about some of the things during our coaching session with you I was like, oh my God, I do that. And it was the first time I was like, oh, somebody else has actually thought that deep into what a team means and what they should be doing. And I was like, oh, I bet people feel, if I feel alone, then other people feel alone. So I wanted to talk a little bit about like team and coaching. And for me, our biggest hurdle at AdLib is we're training an entire community that coaching is a thing. Yeah. One first and foremost, that rehearsing on an ongoing, consistent basis is a thing. That there are um, consequences to not showing up yeah. to that. And so, some people through AdLib have known no different, and so that's that's their culture. Some have come from the independent scene or other theaters, and it some make it and some don't. Frankly, sure. they self eject because, and they've been very honest with me. They're like, "I love what you're trying to do here. I can't make this kind of commitment." Yeah. And I'm like, "No, that's totally fair, and I wish you could, because I wish you kind of look inside and be like, what is sure. it about this? I can't make this commitment.' Yeah, yeah. Um, most of the time, it's fear because I see them struggling with getting notes and and not being as good as they thought they were or that this format's harder to tackle than they thought. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's all those conversations. So, and I even posted it recently. We'll see when this goes up, uh, recently on the improv network about student to team transitions, uh-huh. because where we are right now is it's, pretty much a funnel of our students have become our teams. So we don't do a throw out of auditions to build our teams. Mm. So typically the class you graduated with becomes the team you're on. Sure. Yeah. But I think those transitions of what it means to be a good teammate and what it takes to be a good coach is just something that people don't really talk about that much. Or if they do, please let me know because I have not done that. (laughs) I think that people like learn a lot about coaching from being coached maybe. And then, like I and so it depends on like how you've been coached. And I would say like the majority of the time that I've been a coach, I probably not have been as good of a coach as I could have been for a myriad of reasons. I was learning. I was learning on an island. Um, well, right. So do you? I, I want to. That island thing's really important. But just really quickly, do you think you're a better teacher or a better coach? That's a great question. Um, and what are the differences you think it takes to be a teacher versus a coach? Well, a teacher, uh, it's funny. It's, I mean, this is something I haven't thought a lot about, so I'm going to extemporaneously talk about Great, it. Great, cool. Like, uh, I think th- one of the things is a coach is responsible for a lot more. Uh, a teacher gets to pop in and be like, okay, and like you're a lot of amount of time. You're like, thank you, guys. Go out into the world. <laughs> right. Right, you know, uh, and so you was like, here's this one little bit of information, and here it goes. While a coach, depending on how involved that coach is, 
is responsible for the growth of each individual, is responsible um, for growing them towards what they want to achieve as a team, and then they're also responsible for the team's growth, right? So uh, in a weird I, – I kind of view myself as like a guide um, as a coach – and one of the first things I do uh, when I really – like we've totally chosen like everyone on the team goes, yes, I grant him the authority to give me notes and to say the truth to me, right, which is a really important step. Everyone there needs to want you there. Do you do that at the beginning of every coaching session or just when you're picking up a team? No. Like at first, like the way the things have been working lately is some team will be like, hey, let's try you out. Oh, let's okay. see how it goes. Okay. And so I show up and I say like, what's something you're working on? Um, not dissimilar to what I did for you guys. Um, what is something you're working on? And I present a workshop and then we run through their thing and I give them notes and then we talk about the experience. Um, lately I've been really getting a great, uh, feedback on that reception. I usually pick up the team in some kind of long-term fashion. Then once we've decided that that, this is what we're going to do, I sit down and go, why are you here? What do you want out of this team? What do you want your shows to look like? How do you want your audience to feel? Right. Uh, why this team, why this format? Right. Like start breaking down, like, what are you getting out of this to make sure? Because I find so often teams have never had that conversation. They the reason why they're together is like some arbitrary thing. Um, they met. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it needs to be. And that's one of the and that shows up on stage because they don't have like a, a unified mission of what we're trying to achieve. Right. They don't uh, they're usually not put together by any kind of ensemble nature. There's not like here's a really emotional player. Here's a really heady player. You know, and I think ensemble is huge for teams. I think anytime you look at like a bigger team and they're crazy good there, you can spot the ensemble in it. Um, so there's that conversation and it's a lot of it. And then I do what I like to call augmented bonding, which is I put them in positions to be honest with each other, to start trusting each other, to be more vulnerable with each other, um, to start building chemistry. And that could be like telling personal stories. It could be answering that New York Times intimacy quiz. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I'll, uh, I've done, I've sent them on um, scavenger hunts together uh, where I go, you have to go around our city and find all these things and take pictures with them and Instagram them, you know, uh, and put them up. Like, uh, and like fun little things too. Like you have to go ask somebody this, you know, I do, I send them on missions like that outside of the team. It's all about getting them to bond. Um, because chemistry and love for each other is going to create an environment for more success. Not only on stage, chemistry pays off on stage. When you're having a bad show, if you're having fun and you love each other, it'll come off as a good show, uh, a lot. Um, but also in the, when you talk to each other. When a team has backroom conversations about another person on the team, that to me is a sign that they aren't communicating openly enough. They feel like they can't be honest with each other. And I do think a coach is responsible for some of that, depending on how long they work with them. Creating an atmosphere where someone can say like, hey, I want to share something with you. Like, uh, you know, this, not that they have to give them a note, but they can say things like, oh, this particular thing, I'm not a fan of that. Or like, I can be honest with you about this. Or people can expose their fears about themselves as a player. And the other team, teammates can be honest with them in a way that they feel is uh, like effective and they grow. And that's a hard place to reach, but it's a great place to reach. Right. So, um, I, so many thoughts. So, but, but 
this interesting thing happened and it didn't really click for me until I was like thinking about, um, I was just, cause I, don't know, I was just thinking about some things that were happening cause team to me and being, having teams that are under the theater versus them coming together. Like yeah. I want to get to that in a second, but, uh, we were doing notes on Saturday, post-show notes and, um, I set up for a second. I said, all right, before you guys go any further, I need to tell you as our, cause I had a director hat on like as a director, this is really bothering me. And it wasn't them as a team. It was one of their teammates who failed to show up. Yeah. And I was like, because, and then I was getting pushed back for it. I'm like, I'm a director right now. You don't push back. One, you don't push back on your director. Sure. So I said to them, you know, like, here's the thing, guys. We have rules. We have ways we do things because we're a professional theater. And I'm training you guys. Part of this being on this team is training you guys so that if you ever leave here and you ever leave Orlando, you're not going to walk in looking like an idiot. Yeah, sure. Right. You're not going to know how a theater runs, right? And and I'm really at the point where I'm just tired of having to prove and tell you guys that this is professional. The moment someone gives us money, it's a professional theater. And the interesting that, and then I went, and then I went on about like how great they did because they had a great night. But while I was doing that, my entire team, and it wasn't, it was all instinctual, stood up and literally formed this horseshoe around. Me. <laughs> yeah. And also not, and, and it, it clicked to me. I was like, that's how close we become as a team. If one person, like, oh, we're gonna, we're sure. gonna physically have your back right now. Yeah. Uh, it was this really interesting thing, and. While I was really annoyed with this one person and this one team, it was also joyous to see in this moment of like where as a team we stand. Yeah. Um, so, but that whole, uh, so that, and, and we've done things just like you explained to get to that point. So people will look at us and they're like, how are you like that? Well, one time, right. Yeah. I, that's, I think something just like we are, students we walk in level one and all of a sudden and we fall in love with improv all we want to do is like i want to be good i want to be good and we no matter how many times people tell us we don't get that time is part of that factor i think that happens with teams too they're like i want to be that team yeah that team's been together 10 years right yeah yeah. so one is uh time and two the things that you were saying so that that intimacy test that you talked about that was the first time i met someone who's also put teams through just taking these intimacy things one of my questions i guess for you is have you ever sat down with a team and people have just been like we can't no i don't i can't do it it uh yeah i've interacted with in some experiences um folks that are just way more shut off they have stuff to deal with and so what you try and do is find a way that they can still be a part of it um it's never been like i'm not doing this it's always been like, I'm still dealing with something and okay. I don't, you know what I mean? Like I'm still figuring this out and I'm not comfortable right now talking about it. So it's always like, say your version of it, say a version of it that you're comfortable with. Right. You know, you don't have to get to the, you know, everyone can get share as much as they want. Right. You know, and sometimes it's going to be like, oh, I had, you know, I had a bad meal somewhere and you're like, okay, cool. That's what it is. Right. You know? <laughs> Um, and also if they're like 22, maybe that is the worst thing. Do you as a coach facilitate that or do you have them go do it by themselves? No, I've facilitated it, but I also, uh, whoever my point of contact is on that team or when I get a chance to speak to the team, I'll always say like, if I'm not here instead of, you know, and you guys aren't going to practice or 
Uh, I mean, I like the idea that Nick Armstrong always said, like a quarter of your practices should be for team bonding. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's an awesome idea. I also think like you can do your practices and then find an additional time to bond if that works for you too, whatever. Um, but like, you need to make time for it and it needs to be sacred. Like what I've found a couple times when I've tried to instill this is uh, team bonding days turn into like, well, maybe I'll go my better one. Right. And so you had to start saying, like, no, this is more important than practice. And you'll find that the teams that love each other and do that are better. And like, that's one of the things, like, do you want to get good? Right. This is an important, it doesn't seem like it. It's a lot of wax on, wax off. You know, you think you're waxing a car, but you're really learning this. (laughs) It's a lot of that, but uh, it does pay off on stage in ways that you uh, almost aren't quantifiable. Like, it's even hard for me to, I say, like, well, the chemistry, like, yeah, I could say that, but what does chemistry really mean? Right. You know, but ultimately, like, when you're talking about them having your back, it's like a trust in each other and a, a faith that you'll be fine because risk and taking chances is an important element to good improv. And so is confidence, confidence in yourself and each other. And, like, you can, there's some people that don't need anyone else to give them any kind of confidence. Right. But if you're on a team of people that love you and are confident that you're going to make the kind of choices they're excited to play with, then you'll more often make them. So that's why that is important. And that's why those moments of making time and making it happen are important. And really, honestly, if I take a step back, when you talk about people that are like, I want to be that team in 10 years from there, you can't, you'll never be that team if that's what you want to be. Right. You have to be. The, you have to want the things that created that 10-year team. Yes. Right? So you have to want the process of getting good at improv. You have to want the process of bonding. You want to have to want the process of mastering a form that suits your talents. And that will get you that 10-year team, not the desire to be that 10-year team. Right. It, it also requires that if you want, like, the process of that, that through that process, also the – ability to own up when um either you or the team itself is not that team and is it time for you to find another avenue team or is it time for you to really take a look at yourself and be like i can't get to that because there's no i i'm i'm the one who's causing all the problems sure i have all the time i uh i am a the biggest proponent of quitting and it sounds like weird but I, all the time, when I was leading specs, would almost every six months make an impassioned argument for quitting. Because I would always say, like, if you have a finite amount of time to do the things that you want to do, artistically or in improv, don't spend a minute doing something you don't want to do. Uh, like, at a certain point in your improv career, try everything. Try everything a bunch of times. And then once you know what you want, quit everything that isn't that. Right. You know, because there's somebody else that wants a spot on that team. Mm-hmm that wants to do what they're doing and wants to be with those people. And you are wasting your time and you're never going to find that pure joy or be that 10 year long team. Uh, you're never going to be that until you find the thing that you love doing and you find the commonality of people that have that purpose and mission as a team. And like, that is an important element. And so people, I think go like, well, this is my, like some people are like, this is my only team. It's your only team right now. You know, uh, find somebody else that agrees. All you need is one other person. Find somebody else that agrees with that and start working towards it. Um, That's one of my biggest, and I've had a really interesting, um, it's even people from, you know, from camp who are like, but Lauren, you're tougher and more resilient than people. And I'm like, am I? Because that whole, like, 
I can't quit because this is my only avenue. Yeah, well, I was told a long time ago I would never be on a certain stage because I wasn't feminine enough, and that there was no, and there was literally no long form. And now, yeah. right? Because, and that's where people are like, "But you're tenacious and you're tough and you're resilient." And I'm like, "But I really wanted something, so I made it happen." Yeah, it was less work than something. It was a desire, like right. Yeah, when I think back about anything I've achieved, it's because I really. I fought through my fear of it. Right. Yeah. Every step of the way I was fighting through my fear of it. And so people who are like, well, I have nothing else. Well, what you're telling me right now is you fear not doing improv. Yeah. And that it's going to take probably work that you don't even know what it's going to take to find another way to do improv. Yeah. But there's always a way to do improv. Yeah. Like, you know, people put weird pressure on the idea of stage. Right. Right. Uh, You can do improv in your living room. And be fine and happy and have right. a great time. Right. You know, and I think that that's something they don't, they think if it's not on stage in front of the audience, it doesn't have merit. And I don't think that's true. I think the stuff that goes on stage should be polished stuff. Yeah. Right. And that you, you can go and have fun with your friends in your living room and that is great. In fact, you're going to spend way more time practicing improv for the majority of your improv career mm-hmm. than you are ever going to do performing it. Right. So you better enjoy the practices and realize that this is where... Uh, if you if you have one show for three practices, or I don't even know how everyone does it, right? If you have one show for three practices, that means 75% of the time you're not going to be on stage. You better love that. You better have fun with that. That is – I love that. Um, and and – because, yeah, because that's exactly how uh, most of um, – I mean, because I can only speak to the experiences I've had. But our – my team is up every Saturday night. That's sort of the deal of if you're on my team, you have to be that committed. Yeah. And that takes a lot to be that committed to be like every Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for here and there because obviously I'm not sure, a monster. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for the majority, you know you're giving up your Saturday nights, right? Yeah. The other teams are a mix of people and most of them are not – that insane so it's exactly that it's three rehearsals uh and then they every about after every three rehearsals they have that one show yeah and yeah if they're not having fun in those rehearsals also if the best stuff should be happening in rehearsals because you play more fearless right yeah so and then tapping into what that felt like and all that stuff um it's, it's a really interesting thing. And then I think this is another piece of the whole, like, I want to be that 10-year team. People think they have to be on a team where, like, it was assembled by a bunch of people who are friends and then made that team. And a lot of times you look at maybe some long-term teams and you're like, but they were cast together originally yeah. and now they're friends. So you can't make the argument of, like, well, this is my team where I come here, but they're never really going to be my friends. Yeah, they can be if you allow yourself yeah. that, right? So I'm very much – because I know now people look at my team and they're like, well, Lauren is surrounded by people. She wants to be surrounded by people. One, I took me a long time sure. to get there. Yeah. Uh, but two, all yeah. of those people actually came through AdLib. Yeah. And I had not known them before that team. Yeah. So they too were cast on a team. And we've become this dynamic as a result. And I think that's a big thing that people miss is that like, well, if I don't, if I'm on a team that's been cast by a theater, it doesn't necessarily, unless it's like, like, let's take it out like IO and Herald teams that you should be and all that stuff. Um, It's not as, it's not necessarily as important uh, to my whatever, because those aren't really my friends. 
One, fuck off. Two, two, you can, that's, and that's the beauty of improv is that, um, someone who is 30 years older and 30 years younger and has a completely different life experience, we have, but we have this shared thing and we can create something together. I don't know things as diverse as improv. Right. I know that there's a knock on improv for being all white dudes, but I look around my classes and I see everything and I see everyone getting along and laughing and having a good time. Um, so, uh, like I, I don't know if I've ever been involved with anything as diverse as that. And not only that, but it's positive, you know, right. um, I, it's crazy the amount of like older people we have and younger people in a scene together, having a good time and laughing and nonsense, uh, and growing. Um, I think it's wonderful. So yeah, I, I think that those people, uh, they should, be less afraid to really be vulnerable and open to people that may not know. And, and that's what I think it comes down to, right? Is like that being open and vulnerable. And I, and I think when people hear that, they think, oh, I have to tell you all my deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah. No, I mean, you <laughs> don't. Uh, and if you want to, great, right? Sure, like, you're comfortable with. Right. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we've done that uh, has seemed to help and maybe will help other people, and it could help, I think, personally also, because we used to do this in it, because I did the indie scene for a long time, um, we had expectations and then there was consequences if you didn't meet those expectations. I think that's something that um, teams don't necessarily do well. I think it's important that a theater does it. So when you say about like going out and stuff, under our umbrella, they meet like on a specific date, a specific time. And we say you have to meet at least three times out of the month with your coach but there's four weeks in a month typically. Yeah. So they could on that fourth either meet with their coach or go do something. Yeah. If they choose to go do something and they don't show up, it's counted as an absence. And they only get one absence a month before um, we take a look at their history and decide if they get to play or not. Sure. So that can be helpful. Yeah. The other thing is when you're coaching under a theater because you then – all that team stuff is so important, yeah. but you also have to meet the artistic direction and needs of the theater. I've always been the artistic director. So when I was doing that, I was always satisfied my own needs. But So I get that because I've coached teams under the umbrella of specs and I've coached teams that are independent of specs that, uh, outside of it. Um, so yeah, uh, that's not been a problem for me. I, um, I've yet to have to teach somebody else's curriculum which is going to be interesting when that happens. I'm sure it'll happen somewhere. I've yet to have to do um, where I had to satisfy a standard that I didn't set or, you know, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. So I haven't had to interact with that yet, which right. is interesting. Um, it'll be a learning experience. Well, that's what's, uh, so I'm in that same position as well. Um, and watching, so it's interesting to watch these coaches who essentially are, are under the direction that I put in place. Yeah. And then I will – so sometimes we'll have group meetings and I'll sit in on it, team meetings, and people will be bitching and moaning and stuff. And I have to stand up and, I'm be, and I have to be like, your coach isn't going to allow you to do that because it doesn't follow the artistic direction of what I want. And then some of them are like, well, aren't we as a team supposed to do what we want? I'm like, well, yes and no. You're also under the artistic direction of this theater. And right yeah. now I have a director hat on. So if you – and that's where it comes down to, like, if you don't like the artistic direction of this team, yeah. the overall artistic direction, yeah. and that is we do relations, and it's really not a hard focus. Yeah, it's sure. relationship-based improv, yeah, and yeah. it's long form. Yeah. And sometimes I say to teams, you're going to be doing this form for right now. Like, I really sure. want you to just 
be a slacker team for right now. All right. Um, I don't feel like that's very hard rules to follow. You're right. <laughs> like, and if you are not, but but in your heart of hearts, you love doing montage. Yeah. This is not your team. Yeah, yeah. You need to either be able to come in and put that hat on and do this work, or not be on this team. I think people need to ask, like, am I? And I, that's the thing too is, uh, and I don't. Uh, I'm sure, I imagine not like this. Um, but uh, some people, there's there's improv leaders out there that are like, um, no, you need to do what we do, and they get kind of defensive and like they feel like they have ownership over individuals, and so you, you have to create like an atmosphere of going, no, you do what you do. This theater has this stated mission, and as long as you stay within that mission um, and you're doing things the right way, you'll get on stage, right? You know, um, and that's it. And and so, like, I don't have uh, you. You have a very specific mission. We have a very specific mission, and those are different. And it doesn't mean like, oh, mine's better, or yours, or whatever. But like, your mission may be very more specific, more specific than mine. Uh, and I don't think that's you need to have those standards. Expectations are something we have too. We expect you to do this. We expect you to do that. Because um, there needs to be like, you need to tell people what's expected. Um, so if you have that standard, like this is our stage, and these are the standards we have. That's on them to decide whether or not they want to subject themselves to that standard. It's not your fault for having standards. You right. need to have them. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. So I know it's really easy, I guess, for us because there is this, like, element that I was talking about, like, I've never had to do this and never had to do this. Um, there is, like, a, there is a lack of fear of, like, me quitting a team because I know I'll have something, right? Right. So there's, like, a privilege in that, right? I can make any team I want and, like, I could probably get a stage time, at least in the past. Um, there'll probably be a day where I make something and it doesn't get stage time and I'll have to deal with like those feelings that, that other people have had to feel, deal with. Um, but that, uh, that's a, that's something that I haven't experienced. So I can say that it might be tougher to make that leap of faith, but I do think people should go like, is simply doing improv that doesn't bring me happiness worth, uh, we're staying on this team, the opportunity cost of not being on another team that does bring me happiness. And that we like, I know it's facts. We have a much more open thing, which, it, which is the idea of if you're passionate about something and you can find other people passionate about it, then we will make it work. Right. But it is not like we will have short form. We'll have long form. We'll have sketch. We'll stand up. Like I, it's, I just want someone to be passionate about it. I have stage time. I will trade. I will, I, what do I, I always have, a, I used to have a phrase for this, but I want to match passion with opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's my job. Uh, was my job. Uh, so that to me is different. But if, uh, you say like we're doing X, then anyone that comes into your door is accepting that. Right. Right. And that's not your, like there's right. no burden of you to feel guilty or anything about that. That whole, like, if you have a passion, we'll find an opportunity cracks me up, uh, internally a little bit because I actually, uh, I have had this form forever of like pitch us a show. Yeah. And then I asked, but in that pitch, I asked all the things of like, how are you going to market? How are yeah. you going to fill this? Yeah. In three years, I've had maybe one person because the moment they see the form requires something other than showing up. Yeah. I get very few people to pitch me their passion. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I found it easier to be like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. So, right. So I got to coach for a while, uh, which was fun because I don't get to coach often. 
the so I've been coaching them and just uh, so some of the things that I've been noticing is that um, I still run it very much like I would run my classroom and that is I have that sort of container of the expectations of like when you walk through the door we're gonna like chit chat a little bit in coaching I let them chit chat more than in class it's like a bonding right because yes um, but then we're also we're still gonna circle up and we're still gonna have that container of like there's a way we do things so that the safety net is there so that I can push myself to explore. Mm-hmm. So I found that to be similar in my teaching and my coaching. I find though that with the coaching, because I know all their skill sets and it's not a class that has a direct outcome and objective, yes. I will let them explore a little more. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll stumble onto something. And in class, I'll do this too. Like sometimes we stumble on something and I stay in it. But I know that also when I'm teaching Herald class, they got to learn Herald, right? Yeah. So whereas this form I, with this team I've been coaching, they've been doing one form, but they stumbled into something. I was like, well, why don't we just create what we're creating yeah. right here? Yeah. And like you said, being because I'm also the artistic director. It's easier for you. Right. Like I don't know that one of the other coaches would have done that because they would have been like, oh, I don't know if this matches. Yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So I find that you can, as a coach, you have to open that a little more to them as well of like, explore this. And, oh, you found this as a team. Maybe this is your team style. It's probably better. Right. Yeah. It's so, uh, I've read this in some business book, which is flow with the go, which is like, not look at what you think you're making, what you set out to make. Look at what you're actually producing. And go like there's a merit in that, right? Instead of forcing it into uh, like a Play-Doh mold, see what's actually there and use that, right? Because that's what's naturally producing, right? Yeah, I like. Um, I think there's different versions of my of my coaching, right? There's like a really loose version, which is like they're like a set team with leadership and they know what they want to achieve and they're bringing me in to help them get to a certain finish line. And then there's like a level of coaching which which is like. I will, I think the most militant version of it is, which is I was like, as a team, we're going to work on the environment. Mm. And then your mission, like each individual person, I will say like, these are the things you're working on right now. And I will create exercises to um, facilitate everyone learning their, their mission every single week while working on our overall mission and the show. Right. Um, and and is, then, is that, I'm sorry, is that how you came about? Did you come about that by... The talk you had with them or like from watching them and then seeing gaps? Well, yeah, that last time that I've done that, I think the most extensive version of that was a team that needed it. It was was a team that just needed like this. They were an experienced team and it wasn't so much about confidence. It was about really directed growth because I think confidence is a huge foundational piece that all teams need. But then once the team like loves each other, knows they do good work. Uh, it's like, what can we do to make everyone better and work towards a unified goal more? Uh, and in that, when I gave notes, it was really simple. I would take notes with like, well, you know, Ryan's working on this. So I would, as I watched him, I would know what his mission was. And as I watched the show, I would say, did he do it or did he not? Ah. So then I would, the post-show conversation would be very positive. It'd be like, I thought this was great. I thought this was great. I will post your notes in your group later. And so it would go through individual, like in this thing, you did this, and this is where you fell short. This is where you succeeded. So it became very, I try and remove the subjectivity of it as much as possible. Yes. Because it's not about hurting their feelings. Right. It's about like, you know, I want to avoid that. I want to avoid making an emotional thing. I want them to look at it and be like, yeah, you're right. They didn't start that scene with an environment choice. 
right? So they, they would know it. There's no arguing that. Um, they'd be like, okay, we're going to keep working on it. And then when they've shown sustained, consistent uh, uh, execution of that mission, we'll pick a new mission based on something else that's lacking. So they're always individually getting better. And then I'm always giving them a team note of like, hey, we wanted to start like this. Um, and I found that to be really effective. It is time consuming, uh, but I found it to be very effective because it was very open. It was like, cause I used to coach behind the scenes a little bit. There was like what I presented the team okay. and then the machinations behind it, which is like, I wanted to work on player X's emotional work. So I'd be like, we're going to work on emotion. Uh, okay. Right? And so everyone went through it. Right. And it would be focused on one player or two players. And, uh, but it was mostly everyone had to study it. And I think, in a way I, I empowered them to say like, look, we all know everyone's missions and we're all responsible for helping them get to where they need to get. We're like a team we're pulling together. It's not a behind the scenes thing. It's all up in the front. Um, I want to keep experimenting with that to see like how effective it is. Uh, I enjoyed doing it and I thought it was, uh, I thought it was effective for the time I was doing it. But I'm not coaching a team with that level of uh, control or that level sure. of involvement. Any, uh, I'm not coaching currently a team with that level of involvement. What, um, as the coach, how do you encourage them? Because you're constantly giving them feedback. How do you encourage them to give you feedback? Sure. Um, there's a lot of things where I'll say, I always say, like, I coach you once, message me all the time. I promise you to not have ego. Like, one of the, I always say, like, there's a thing I always say, which is essentially, you're paying me for my expertise and my honesty, right? Uh, but that's a two-way street. So, like, you can always share with me how you feel it's going. I check in with them constantly, individually. I'll message them on Facebook and just be like, how you feel like it's going? I try and create an open channel okay. and let them know that there won't be consequences for being honest with me. I'll right. never punish honesty. Um, and I never have. That's a thing I can always I can plant my flag in. When someone's honest with me, I may have an emotional reaction, um, but I'm always really good at going, that's an emotional reaction. Let's get into the meat of what's happening. You know, like I can set it aside pretty evenly. Um, so I think that goes back to like the, the question of like, what makes a good coach? And I think that for me, there's a lot of similarities of what makes a good teacher and empathy is a huge, huge right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Empathy, vulnerability, also, uh, the ability to listen, the ability to, yeah. And being married to the concept that you're not there for you. Right. You're not coaching for you, you're, even though you're getting some money back and that's your vocation or it's the money that makes things easier. That's always say like, I don't do this for money. I get to do it because of the money. Right. But like, uh, I'm coaching a team for their journey. I'm a part of their journey, right? They're not a part of mine. And the same thing with teaching. I'm here to help them. It's not about them paying me or like creating disciples. It is only about their journey. Right. And I think you're, so you're putting yourself in service. Um, and I'm not comfortable being like in life. I'm not very comfortable being exceedingly honest. Right. I don't like to assert that I have expertise and these elements, they are giving, they're granting it to me. And in response to that, I need to suffer through being honest with people. Right. Oh, that's a great, um, that's actually, yeah. I, uh, cause when people like, you know, when you do, if you go to a workshop and people are like, well, tell us a little about yourself. Like I'll mumble my, I'll mumble my way through like, yeah. because I'm like, Bleh. but you're absolutely right. When someone has brought me in to teach, I own it. And I'm like, look, I'm here. Boom. Yeah. I do all this stuff. Yeah. Boom. You know, cause I know that they paid for it 
and I need to yeah get give that to exactly. Them. So like, and it's uh, it's funny because I just realized I said I'm not honest, but what I mean is <laughs> what I mean is what I I've become very comfortable with other people making mistakes, right? And doing things that I think are like, well, that's not wise. But I've become very comfortable with like they're on their own timeline, they're on their own journey, right? Uh, so I don't interject what I think is the truth when people say things that I'm like, uh, unless they've asked for that. Right. You know what I mean? Like that needs to be an open, like that needs to be granted. That takes time too. Cause I remember, I can recall early on for me, if I felt very passionately about the way you should approach something and someone said something and I knew based on my experience that that was not going to go well for them, I would feel the need to be like, but there's this, right? Yeah. Like I wasn't a jerk about it. But nowadays people will say stuff to you and I'm like, well, I hope that works out for you. Yeah. Like I just, it's not, but I hope it works it's, out for yeah. you. Yeah. And you know what? Like I have that, like I have varying degrees depending on how close I am with the person. Yes. Like the most I'll ever do is I'll be like, well, you know, this is an option. Right. And like that is about the most right. I'll do. And it's not because maybe they're right. I feel because it's me. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm I am a healthy part of any equation I'm a part yes. of. You know what I mean? I'm a variable. Yeah. So I always say I'm never like against someone trying the same thing I did. Um, I will share my wisdom with them in like a really passive way. And that's the people I trust. Yeah. And the moment I like pick up like any kind of defensiveness, I go, You're right. Right. You yeah. Know, just, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that comes with the, with time also. And also the constant, um, I'm constantly working on making sure of checking of, that I'm checking in with myself, that I'm yeah. being honest, but that also takes a certain, cause there's a lot of people who don't do that with themselves. No, it's, oh, let me tell you, like, uh, the, I figure part of life is a journey of self-awareness, right? which is like learning what are my deficiencies? What are my blind spots? What are my weaknesses? Knowing your strengths working on those weaknesses. And I know so many people that never examine their weaknesses and that's probably their biggest weakness. You know? <laughs> right. Right. And here's the crazy thing about me mentally. Half of me is envious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like a journey of self-aware and like ratcheting down on your issues and working on yourself creates uh, emotional moments and interesting times when you have to really examine yourself you, when before you would have just marched in knowing you had the authority, mm -hmm. you know, that process uh, of examining yourself is not a fun one. Ultimately, it's a good one. Um, but I envy those people as much as I loathe them sometimes. Like someone that's barely been doing improv starts doing a blog about improv from like a place of authority. And I'm like, I was like, am I a gatekeeper right now? Do right. I need to, like, am I just, should they just let them do it? Right, right. You know? Yeah. So I'm going to go, so I'm going to, uh, there's, I saw something recently that are like, oh, there's this new drop-in long-form class taught by so-and-so who knows long-form. I'm like, that person's never taken a long-form class yeah. in their life. Yeah, But this is not like... Uh, I, this is me being defensive about long form. This is me being defensive about the fact that like, there's a theater that does that here. Like that's yeah. all me yeah. just being defensive. Yep. So fingers off the keyboard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, right? And that's tough because you have to know, like, um, like, because uh, let's say like, there's a guy, uh, there's a guy like a county over for me who, uh, is like, I'm just gonna be this is gonna sound bad, but he's a total hack. He charged money, he charged a lot of money, said he was teaching um, a herald, and he literally taught them the Armando. So he took money, he didn't know what he was teaching. And so, like, there's a part of me that goes, like, I have a responsibility to improv to like 
to say something, but I also have a responsibility to improv to not say something. Right. It's, like, such a weird thing that I have to go through. But, like, in my brain, people had to, like, really pull me across the finish line to teach. Right. Right. You know, because I'm, like, who would, who would pay to listen to me? Right. You know? Well, I mean, that's why – because I first started teaching one-off workshops where people would be, like, hey – we we think you blah blah blah. It's like in a you know in the middle of a junky place again. It was all indie scene. Yeah. And then it got to the point where people were like, we really want you to teach everything that's in there. And I was yeah. like, nah, you don't. Right? Like oh, I'm not gonna do. And that, that's that? right. That's why it took so long to open the theater because yeah. yeah, it just uh, we had something recently, and I don't. I don't know all the details. Uh, I know what my reaction was to it, but also the same thing. I heard through the grapevine that someone was like, I'm going to make my living off of improv now, so I'm available to coach, but also my rates are X, and they are more than, like, even in L.A., yeah. like a really – like a Nick Armstrong or Paul sure. Valcourt would yeah. charge. Yeah. And I'm like, what? What? Whoa, whoa. And also, you don't have the experience to be coaching what you say you're coaching. Yeah. I, I Mm. No, it is just it, it, like it is a really interesting thing because because someone could have done that to me, right? Someone could have said, "What's this guy doing?" Right? You know, and at certain points in my journey, could have been legitimate. Like you know right. what I mean? Like yeah, uh, I don't think I think if anyone got mad at me for teaching a ten dollar drop in. Right. Well, that's uh, yeah. I'd be like, uh, you know, I wouldn't be mad either because at one point, I'm like, what is it more practice than than leading someone? Right. Um, but as you get better, yes. But it is a weird thing. Like we, the, like the harm of that is like the journey of his students, the understanding of of improv in his region. Does he, he even know that he's teaching the wrong thing? Yeah. He. I, oh. Okay. He he was made aware. And okay. Like he didn't care. Like so that's, that's totally different, right? So that's even worse. Oh, believe me. <laughs> it is something on my mind all the time. And I'm like, a, I'm a nice person. And I think like, uh, it's funny because like, the best part of improv is everyone can do it. Right. And maybe the worst part of improv is that everyone, everyone can, can do, do it. it. Right. You know? Oh <laughs> so, my goodness. Uh, yeah. It's like that double-edged sword. And so uh, um, I found for the most part, I'm just like, if someone asks me personally, I will say, well, let me let you know. Uh, other than that, that's the the most I can do personally at this point. That's where I am. People are like, oh, we're going to ask. We've asked up someone or something to coach. Uh, they're charging us this rate. Do you think that's fair? And yeah. all I can be is like, well, you know, Paul Valancourt coaches my team and he charges X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like- yeah. And that is a really interesting thing, too, is like a coach to choose what you charge. Right. Um, so someone like Bill Binder under – Sure. charges so much that I'm like, Bill, I'm giving you more money yeah. than you asked for because that's ridiculous. Well, and I've been talked to about that too, because like someone wanted to book me after East camp to come oh, travel to the sure. region. And I, they were like, how much? And I was like, get me there and put me up and I'm fine because I want the experience of doing it. Right. And then someone went, no, uh, someone pulled me aside and said, you really shouldn't do that because you're undercutting your industry yourself and everyone else that does it. And so I was like, man. So, like, that's a heavy thing to think. Yeah. Because in my heart, I would just do it. Right. I'd probably do it for less than that. If I'm, you know? like, right. I'm like, oh, am I going to come out of the red, but only it's, like, 100 bucks or less? I'm okay with that. The which experience. Is, right. right. Like, I want to go on the experience. Right. right. <laughs> um, and, like, honestly, like, that's where I'm at, too. I also feel like uh, I think, like, if they're going to have to pay that much, they might as well. 
I would tell them, look, if you're going to pay me this much, you might as well just talk to these people. Right. The people that I would do this right. for. Right, right. And that's probably just me undermining myself again. That's me too. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Um, there was that recently when uh, Dylan on the – Dylan Rove from Backline said, who are women that are not being booked to teach at festivals? Yes. And I said, me, ha, 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 and then blah, blah, blah. Because really what I want to say is like, oh, I do that. Yeah. But I'm not comfortable with me like – So I put me and then I put a bunch of other women who I absolutely believe should be doing it as well. But the whole like me. Yeah. I'm good enough. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It is tough. Um, It's uh, there's a lot of people in my life that I wish believed in themselves as much as I believe in them. Right. You run in them all the time. And I'm sure I'm that way for other people. Right. Right. So, yeah, Uh, yeah. it is a weird thing. And so when you have to like do your worth. Uh, knowing what other people charge is important. Yes. Uh, it's uh, literally, and this is such a weird thing to say, but I'll just on it, like I, when the people that I taught charge X, I know I need to charge more. Yes. And when the people that I, uh, I know I need to charge less than the people that I learn from. Yes. Like, so it's like, I kind of put myself in the middle of that. Right. And honestly, there comes a point too, where I, uh, where I put myself up a little bit because I went, you know what? I'm leaving my family. That's, I'm yeah. driving away. Like, this is, like, what point is a meal with my family worth, like, it's such a weird, bizarre thing to ask yourself. Well, so we, there's not, so that's an interesting thing. There's not a lot of us, or at least uh, my experience is, there's not a lot of us who also have the family part. So Paul yeah. and I have this conversation all the time yeah. about, like, is this going to be worth me leaving time from my family yeah and so you're one of the few other people that i that goes through my mind too so you're asking me so as much as i love improv and i want to get out there you're also now asking me because it's not just taking money away from like okay i'll get out there and i'll let's say i drop five hundred dollars but five hundred dollars is also like a down payment on braces yeah right or i can it's groceries whatever yeah yeah Right. I remember when I realized I had to factor that in is when I told my wife, I, I'm going to go to Coach's team. I would make X tonight. And she's like, I would pay you that to stay. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, I would pay that money for you to stay. And I was like, well, maybe I should – like what point – I was like, what point would you not pay me to stay? Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. Like uh, it's such a weird – it is a bizarre thing to think about. But it is important because, yeah, also my wife has said – like we're going to Ireland later this May. And there's another festival back in Salt Lake again Yes. that wanted me to go out. And I um, asked her, I was like, am I going to go to Ireland with you and then immediately turn around and be gone for another weekend? And she goes, you should not turn down gigs. So, like, that's kind of her yeah. her view on it. But I also need to make sure that it's getting me closer to, like, the mountain of what I want to achieve as a yes. person in this art. So I keep going back and forth on um, – so one of the things my team likes to do is we try once a year to go to a festival out of state. Yeah. So Red Rocks is on our radar. It's a great one. Right. And it's been on my personal radar for a long yeah. time. My thing is – so I know kind of when that is, but Yosemite – I really, really would love to go back to Utah, Yosemite, and do Vertical Herald. Yeah. But they're so close to each other. And so now I'm like, well, I would have to leave my family. And yeah. neither one of them, I'm I'm paying yeah. those. So, like, okay, I can't do both this year then. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not 
a reasonable. You have to make right. those choices. Um, you know, I'm, I. It's a reason why I'm not coming to your festival. Right. Is because I just have to make tough choices. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same reason why I didn't even apply to Orange County this yeah. year because I'm going to San Diego. I mean, I'm, being, I'm teaching in San Diego this yeah. year, yep. which is great. But then, unless. I'm that's an like a month and a half later you're gonna right. come back to California yeah and that's the other thing too and you maybe not as much because there's so much between like California and and like mountains um, but Florida everything is a haul yeah. everything like even Atlanta is an eight to ten hour drive yeah, or six yeah. to eight depending on the traffic yeah. everything is a big deal yeah and so it's like I'm gonna go out to how many times am I gonna go out to West Coast unless I'm yeah. at least covering cost, right? This is, I mean, this is my first time doing an improv thing at this region of the country. You know what I mean? Right. And it only worked out because we were coming out here for family. Right. Yeah. 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 So I get it. It's And you want to do everything. Right. And, like, you want to have a team of people that want to do everything, that want those experiences. Um, but you also have to – there's triage involved. You have to make tough decisions with the resources you have. Right. One of the things we, we talked about as a team, which might be helpful for other people, is – that if we can't get ourselves out to a festival, we'll plan a little retreat with That's here. Right. That and then maybe we can even put enough money together to bring someone in yeah, to yeah. us yeah. and do like a mini intent. Yeah. So um, before we wrap up, I do want to go over. We had I had asked you about like you said like the three things that make an improviser grow. Yeah. And one of them was like being coached, uh, watching shows, and then taking classes from everywhere. Yeah. And then your follow up to that was if you sort of don't. If you let one, um, if you don't do one, you I think you usually get bad habits. Right. So one of the things, so that bad habit thing is something that has been in my mind because I have a few people that I know personally who um, are struggling with being on a team that's coached because they've never been on that, and now there's a ton of bad habits because as a team they never put together like we've talked about like this whole like expectations. And so they've kind of coached each other, but not in a good way. And they, and there's, they're bailing on each other and this and that. And so they're bringing those habits here and I won't, and the, like, we just don't allow for yeah. that kind of environment. So what do you think people can do one, I guess, to recognize the bad habit and two to like try to, Work their way out of the bad habit. What's funny is that I think usually they just blame improv in a way sometimes, you know what I mean? Or like life or whatever. Like, uh, I know, um, like one of the habits I always see is the people that only perform improv. Um, like if they're only doing that, like it's usually short form teams, like we just we perform it. They end up only learning how to make an audience laugh. Mm. Right. So they only learn the habit of going for the funny because that's, what they learn that's their only method of feedback essentially is the audience's feedback and that's important um but it ends up becoming a very singular experience like we're kind of out for ourselves right like that's that bad habit and they'll just be like well that's kind of what improv is you know what i mean and the audiences will feel that too they won't know that like they can grow and have the kind of joy and take risks and be quiet you know what i mean like it's not they they get scared and they perform from a lot of fear and then the like when they're trying to be witty and they aren't, it feels like judgment. It's like a lot of like a lot of bad habits with that too. Um, if you only co- if you're only coached and perform, what you can forget is the joy of it sometimes, right? So like that's why I think seeing good improv is important too. To see like, oh yeah, I could try that, I could do that. You you kind of learn like a very narrow lesson, and you start to think that maybe all oh, this is what improv is. I don't have anything else to learn. 
You know what I mean? Like, this is what it is. And I did it and I've had my fill of it. And I'm okay, whatever. And you like fall away from it. Because there's not, you don't see something to aspire towards. You don't push yourself to get better because you don't see awesome improv. Right. Right. You also, if you don't see bad improv, you won't know like, oh, I need to get that out of my game. Oh, crap. I've done that scene a lot. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I need to like, I need to stop doing that. So you, you don't get to see like from an audience's perspective, the things that you might do to improve on. That's why seeing improv is huge. And I think it's one of the first things that falls away. Because like, well, I have my shows and I have my practices, you know, um, if you only take classes, if you ever do get on stage, you have not learned to mitigate show brain, which is the thing that when you get in front of an audience, your training gets harder and harder to utilize because you have this whole element that you haven't experienced. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you start to think it's you like, Oh, it's my audience. Like every time there's an audience, I freak out. I make bad choices and not that it's just the way you're doing it. You know what I mean? So like I, and I'm sure there's things about this or avenues that I have not even examined because I mean, I only have so much time in my life right? And I, don't, and I only know what I can experience. Right. And even then it's a, it's a, it's a weird shot if I understand it. So like, uh, all of those, I think people end up blaming improv or themselves a lot. And I think that's not good for them. But if you are getting consistently coached towards a mission with a team that is in love with each other, you're getting that family part of it and you're doing work that you are enjoying. Right. And if you're taking classes, you're pushing yourself to learn different ways to get at different stuff and learning that maybe, Oh, I like this better. Maybe I don't like this thing. I thought I liked. it just helps you highlight the, the things you're great at learning new things. It gives you different ways to get to the same mission. Seeing good improv inspires you. It inspires you to do bad and not to do bad improv. It inspires you to like strive for something more. Also like for me in my own personal journey, there was a time when I kind of felt like oh, I've reached it. I'm near the end. Like I've reached like what I'm going to grow to and everything. I just wasn't as in, in love with improv as I am now. And then I saw a King Tin show mm. and they were having so much fun and being so playful that I was like, Oh yeah, this is fun. Right. This isn't, this isn't like paint by numbers. And that's, that's a big thing. I feel like a lot of people, well, I mean a lot of people quit when they get into that plateau anyways, cause that's just, what a lot of people do because they don't like the dip by Seth Godin yeah. is a great book. Cause it talks about like, you need to recognize you're in the dip and you're either going to work your way through it or that's when you quit. Yeah. And around here, the opportunity to watch that kind of joyful improv, it can be few and far between. Yeah. Um, and festival hopefully. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's also someone on you to be like, I'm not finding that. So if I really, really want to be better, I have to leave to just watch a show, like go to a festival. Not even people yeah. are like, I'm not going to a festival. I'm not a performer there. You're an idiot then because yeah. go to a festival and just watch all the shows. It's like, uh, it, it's like never leaving an aquarium and thinking, you know, the ocean. Right. Like, because like even a community, even a community with a diverse group of theaters, is going to end up creating work within a certain yes. parameter. It, it, there's going to be like moments where it splashes out of it. But it, people may not even know how to handle it. Uh, so you need to go to like different ecosystems to see how they're processing stuff to be like, oh, 
there's this. Right. And sometimes I will see when I go, I go to festivals even if I'm not performing to take workshops. Yes. Uh, because that's when people are bringing in awesome teachers to go learn from. Uh, but like you'll, you'll see something that I will sometimes be like, oh, I can't enjoy this anymore. Like I have to, what I mean is something will be going on on stage that I can't easily see the matrix behind. Right. And I'll be like, okay, I need to chill out. And stop being an audience member and sort of like looking into what's going on. Sometimes I'll just enjoy it. But a lot of times I'll be like, why are they doing what they just did? Right. You know, it's not that they their brain works differently. It's like they did something really smart in a way that my brain hadn't ever recognized or seen. Right. And I have to be like, what, what was the what's the prerogative that created that? And then what does it give them? Um, and if I don't see, if I don't have those opportunities to see shows that do things differently, I can never have those moments. Right. And you end up, yeah, you just end up like a, a, a I don't know how to explain it, like someone that really is really good at their one farm, mm-hmm. but only grows one crop. Right. You know, uh, instead of having like, and that's going to get boring too. Yes. Just like soil will eventually stop yielding results if you grow the same thing all the time. Right. You have to like change it up. It's the same thing. You'll be like, ah, okay, I've done it all. Right. And I've seen... Really amazing improvisers get into that. Yeah. Like people on awesome teams. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, they'll be like, I don't need to do it. You know what I mean? It's fine. I'll just party in the green room and I don't take classes anymore. Well, and then there's even like above and beyond that. So I think Beer Shark Mice, a lot of times, now that most of them are working actors, so they get together whenever and then they do this show and you go, oh, well, Keckner does this and, you know, Flynn does this and Finn does this. Um, and, and Holy's going to do this. Right. Um, and that's, and part of that I think is one that's always worked for them as yeah. they, where they are now. And two, the audience is now there's this expectation of oh, yeah. we're going to see this team. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we expect to see Holney climbing on the rafters or Neil Flynn's old man character. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I don't know that I ever want to get to that. Like, like, yeah, there's like, yeah, there's not discovery going on, right? Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, for them, this could what they're probably doing is like this is just a respite from this is an opportunity yeah. to get together with my friends and fun. make jokes and fun and yeah. do and which I hopefully that's what I'm doing too, like I'm having fun and stuff too. Also, but yeah, they're inspiring people in different ways too, yeah, because you get to go see them and like you hold these actors that have been in movies that you adore, shows these sure. great. You get to see like, like kind of like what people can become out of improv, yeah, you know? right. Uh, and so, like, that's an inspiration in a different way, right? Um, because a lot of people talk about improv doesn't go anywhere or something like you know what I mean. Like, uh, uh what did Keith Johnson say? It's a sword that doesn't cut anything, like when he's talking about its effectiveness politically. Um, but it's like that idea, like you can really see the ineffectiveness of improv if you want to, but to see like people that used improv as a foundational skill that got them to be doing bigger and better things is also an inspirational deal. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't want to do that either. Right. Yeah. I don't want to do, I don't want to become like so rote. I don't know this is going to happen. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, it also feels like the laughs aren't earned either. You know what I mean? Like they probably get emptier. I don't know. I have to like, you're like these people love me so much. I can do anything and they're going to laugh. Right. And it doesn't feel like you earned it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm definitely not there. <laughs> so, sure. Right? Like yeah. I, I no. to me, I still want to be discovering and I, and I want to be pushing and I want to find myself in a situation where I'm like, Ooh, 
I have not been in this. This is yeah. fun and new. Ooh, this is versus. Oh, we've done this scene. Yeah. Let me do this. There's no finish line right. in improv. And I get sad when people, right? you know, like, you know, like I think of someone's inspirational. It's like Nick Armstrong. He took my workshop and right. massage. He's like, I'm going to get back. I'm going to take this class. It looks like interesting to me. I think that kind of mentality too is a great way to show newer improvisers. Oh yeah. You know, everyone's still learning. Um, Cause what does, I mean, Nick's accomplished so much in improv, right. you know? Uh, so like that is a great way to also they get it. The people in that workshop get to play with Nick. Right. You know what I mean? I think that's an awesome experience too. Yeah. Um, so all that kind of thing of like, yeah, I will go take eight. I don't even remember what he charged, but it was not much to take those workshops. I'll go pay that to go, right. You know, take a workshop with them. Um, I think that's awesome. And that's fully intend. I fully intend to be that type of improviser as I, uh, uh, hopefully achieve a status like that. Right. Yeah, me too. Where uh, where can people find you these days? <laughs> uh, I mean, I am doing a lot of festivals, but I think uh, uh, I intermittently write a blog at Facebook at Josh Nichols, which is N-I-C-O-L-S. Um, it's just about you know, life and journey and improv. I'm mostly at Spectacles Improv in uh, Orange County. I also perform in a new theater called Ophelia's Jump, which is doing improv in Claremont, California. And uh, anywhere I can, anywhere I can find uh, some boards and some buddies to, to have some fun with. Awesome, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna stop here. Yeah, go. All right.